0: Warning, the following story is graphic and violent in nature. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Mandy Ann Raitt had a history of drug use. To offset the cost of her lifestyle, the 21-year-old worked as a prostitute in rural southern Oklahoma. She vanished during the second week of June in 2000. Her nude body was discovered June 17, 2000 in a creek just off Bethel Road near the town of Lawton in Comanche County, Oklahoma. Despite the fact she was nude and her jewelry was missing, authorities quickly ruled her death an accidental overdose. The story might have ended there, but during the next several years, more women, a lot of them prostitutes, would vanish in and around the Lawton area. Is there a modern-day serial killer operating in the Lawton area of the Sooner State? I'm George Jared, and this is Diamond State Murder Board.
2: Disasters, accidents, mishaps, and mayhem, they happen. Hi, I'm Barbara, an agent with Legacy Insurance Group with your weekly insurance tip. Did you know you should review your coverage from time to time with a knowledgeable agent to make sure your coverage is adequate? If you need a knowledgeable agent, look us up on LegacyInsuranceAR.com or find us on social media to request a quote.
1: Welcome back to Diamond State Murder Board. I'm your host George Jared. I'm joined as always by our co-host and producer Andrew Brown. Andrew, how are you today? I am tired, George, but I'm doing good. And that's well. I know what you're tired from. We haven't uh, recorded an episode in a while, and I know that now. Let's get your adrenaline all pumped up, and ready to go for a little bit of true crime today. I know that's your thing, right?
0: That's right. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk to our guest today. I know that that's kind of jumping the gun on um on our episode, but it's going to be a very interesting one and one that we both don't have a lot of experience in either of the cases, which is exciting.
1: Yes, not no, no, no experience at all. I have never written about this case. In fact, I've only read a few little snippets and listened to a short podcast episode where it was mentioned a little bit. So this is a new experience for us today here on Diamond State Murder Board. Now before we dive into our episode and our special guest, that well actually we have two special guests today, got a couple of updates we'd like to let you guys know. Um, first of all, Andrew, um, the crew from KRK and Little Rock came in uh, to town recently and they interviewed us for a feature story they're going to be doing on our podcast.
0: Yeah, it was really exciting to get to talk to people about that and to know that, that there's a, um, an audience out there, even in like the realm of news
1: yeah yeah no kidding. I mean it's uh I have seen very few podcasts interviewed for uh for television, so that's exciting for us you know and um I think the premise of the the story was going to be about how um you can create a successful podcast, and I think we've done that to this point so um had the crew in my house uh Andrew was here we did a series of interviews with them. they were here for a long time and uh the reporter uh Mitch was excellent um very good questioner very uh thought provoking for sure for um us um, shout
0: out to G money for handling Oh yeah the, the producer
1: yes yes G money was the producer he uh, the cameraman producer he handled all those uh duties very well and i think he uh, i i just have a suspicion they're going to put together a really great package that's going to come out in uh February mm-hmm. And so uh, we'll let you know when that comes out. I'm sure everybody's wanting to see our ugly faces on some other formatting get Right, Andrew?
0: That's right. You do have a face for podcasting, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a face for print journalism. That's what I always tell people. <laughs> now, before we um, before we move on to what we're going to talk about today, we have a couple of other um, updates and announcements. Uh, Andrew, I don't know if we've mentioned this yet or not, but Jennifer and I have been asked to speak at CrimeCon And later this year, we're going to speak on the uh, Deborah Sue Williamson case, the one that we've been profiling quite a bit, her on Diamond State. And also, it's been profiled on the podcast that Jennifer hosts called Break the Case. And so, we're we're going to go to Vegas. We're going to give a talk about Deborah Sue.
0: What are the dates for that?
1: Um, I believe it's the end of April, early May. I'm not sure the specific date we'll be speaking, but we'll probably give you more specific dates at a a later time. And I'd like to encourage anybody out there who's listening to this, if you've never been to CrimeCon, uh, you know, Jennifer and I spoke last year about Rebecca Gould's murder case. You just get to connect with some some high-profile people who are in that realm. A lot of the people you see on Netflix, a lot of the people you see on YouTube, a lot of the authors you read about, uh, a lot of the personalities you see on Dateline and 2020 and all those types of shows, they're all there. And um, it's just a great experience. You know, um, I, I'd never been to one before last year when they held uh, Crime Con in Austin. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed it, to be honest with you. Um, it, you meet a lot of great people, make a lot of good connections. And it's in Vegas this year, so can't go wrong in Vegas, yeah. right? Um, our secondly, uh, Andrew, we're about to launch a series of episodes on Crime HQ, which is a partner to CrimeCon. Con. We're going to do about six or seven live stream shows, um, and each show will be around some aspect of Debbie's case. We're going to bring in um, Liz, you know, Debbie's sister. We'll probably try to bring in Doug, and we're going to bring in uh, Jeff Schaefer and some other people. We're going to do these. I think they're tentatively scheduled to be done on Tuesdays.
0: Are they? Are they live stream video or live stream uh, audio? It's
1: going to be video. Okay, cool. It's going to be video, and what will happen is we're going to do these shows. uh, You know, if you're you have to 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 see them, you have to join um, Crime HQ. You have to subscribe to that. Now, it's, not, it's a minimal fee. I'm not sure exactly how much it is, but it's not much. And it will not only give you access to that show or other shows they decide to do. It'll give you access to other materials that they produce in the true crime sphere. You know, they have a lot of stories. I mean, every day I get an email with some link to some story to something going on. So if you're into true crime, it's a really good way. It's a good hub for you to be a part of so that you can know exactly what's going on in the true crime world. And so kind of the premises with the shows we're doing on Debbie's case is we're going to we're going to step people right to the point of where the case is at when we get to CrimeCon. So it's going to kind of be like a lead up or build up to that. So if you guys would would like that, it's, it's another medium. You know, obviously, if you're listening to a podcast now, you like that medium. But um, if there's another one, check that out. Thirdly, I'd like to encourage everyone to watch our Case Breakers YouTube show. Episodes are relatively short and give you updates and other information about cases that are being followed by members of our Case Breakers team. Of course, you know, Jennifer and I are part of the Zodiac team um, on the Case Breakers. We made a little news a month or so ago. We identified the possible Zodiac, a man by the name of Gary Post. So hopefully uh, we'll have some updates on that case very soon, Andrew. Now, I know a lot of people out there have been paying attention to the news. And, um, you know, obviously in a couple of cases we follow here at Diamond State religiously, the West Memphis 3 case had a big update on that a couple of weeks ago. Apparently, you know, at first, uh, Damien Nichols' attorneys were told that a fire had destroyed all of the evidence in their case, which turned out to be a lie. And then, um, so when that lie was was found out to not be the truth, uh, they came up with another story the authorities did about how the evidence had been lost or misplaced or destroyed. Well, apparently that wasn't true either. Um, Not too long ago, uh, a judge had ordered that the evidence be presented within a 30-day period or else there would be ramifications. And magically, when uh, Damien Echols' attorneys went to the West Memphis um, Police Department, walked in the doors, went into the evidence locker, and in this room, in this evidence holding room, they walk in and right there was all the evidence, tagged, booked, dated, just like it had been uh, tagged, booked, and dated from the last day of the last trial in 1994. And within a few minutes of them finding, or maybe an hour or two of them finding this evidence, the police chief in West Memphis resigned. So the good thing about this is, Andrew, with this new MVAC DNA testing, whoever touched those clothes and took those clothes off those kids, it's very possible that they have left their DNA on those clothes. And now we have the technology to um, extract that DNA from that clothing. And we might finally get to the bottom of one of the most mysterious murder cases in modern U.S. history. You know, somebody asked me, Andrew, they said, um, so what happens if uh, Damien Echols, Jason Baldwin, or Jesse Miss Kelly Jr.'s DNA is found on those clothes? And I said, well, then nothing will happen because they've already been convicted of the crime and they've already spent nearly two decades in prison. Now, what happens if someone else's DNA is found all over those clothes? That's the interesting question. And of course, Andrew, you know, if if I was a betting man, which I'm really not, I'm not much of a gambler, but if I were, I would probably bet that someone else's DNA will be found on those clothes in great quantities probably.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is there a time frame when they're looking at doing that or is it still pretty much a slow pace
1: it's 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 slow by our modern standards of you know right. of being impetuous you know we just want what we want when we want it now
0: yeah for sure
1: uh, you know i would suspect that within a few months we may have some answers hopefully okay and um so hopefully they'll expedite that uh those getting that evidence to the lab to get it tested uh another small update rebecca gould uh in the Rebecca Gould case, William Miller, the man who has been charged with her heinous murder, he will be in court. He is scheduled to be in court on January 19th. Oh. And um, it's, uh, you know, Andrew, a lot of these court hearings are just a slog. There's no other way to say it. They're just tedious, you know, They're it's to get everything, you know, prepped for trial, you know, what evidence they're going to allow, what experts they'll allow, how evidence can be presented. There's just a lot litany of pre-trial stuff that goes on. So we'll see what happens if this hearing actually happens. I've gone to court many times, and by the time I got there, they had already postponed or moved the court hearing. But I will tell you this, if there is any update on Rebecca's case, in fact, even if there's not, we'll probably talk about it a little bit in next week's episode. Mm-hmm. So um, be ready for that. Now we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to talk with Justin Rimmel. Justin has been spearheading the effort to get these bizarre deaths in Oklahoma investigated. We will be right back.
0: Nova Sydney Castle is a young, ambitious journalist working for a magazine in New York City. A mysterious plague starts to infect parts of Asia, and soon arrives in the United States. As the pandemic deepens, she becomes consumed with a decade-old murder case involving an eccentric scientist who exposes the origins of the disease. At one point, Nova has to decide, report or hide? Buy your own copy of George Jarrett's, A Novel Wait, from Amazon or wherever you buy your books.
1: Welcome back to Diamond State Murder Board. I'm your host, George Jared. Andrew's still in studio with us, and we have two special guests today. One is a familiar uh, voice for everybody here, and probably a familiar face. I'm sure you guys follow us on social media, and that is our dear friend, Jennifer Busholtz. Jennifer, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me back.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I know it was really torturous to bring you back on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure
1: it was. <laughs> like <Polite> pulling teeth. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And um, we're joined by a special guest today, uh, Justin Rimmel. It, it, do you pronounce your last name Rimmel, Justin? Yep. Excellent. And Justin, you are connected. I, I guess, how, how would you identify yourself in this space? What, what would be your title?
3: Uh, I don't know podcaster and curious person I don't know just trying to when it comes to unsolved cases definitely just trying to trying to help you know victims families and stuff like that that's about it, man pretty simple really
1: excellent and Justin, what is the name of your podcast?
3: I have uh a few of them the main one that we're going to be I believe talking about today is the Anna project and uh it's uh basically it's in its second season and what we try to do is concentrate on a certain aspect of cases that are related each season first season was the jennings eight this season is uh some unknown cases out of law in oklahoma
1: excellent and what we'll do for everybody listening is in the show notes, we will include a link to that podcast and other podcasts that Justin produces and hosts. So, Justin, let's get into this a little bit. Um, it's kind of fascinating to me. So it starts off with the murder or not murder. It just starts off with the death of Mandy mm-hmm. and Rate. And in our open, we talked about it. She was found on June 17th, 2000 in a creek just off Bethel Road.
3: Yeah, and she was actually not the first. The uh, first one started in 99. Um, The way those were organized on the list, sorry to interrupt you, um, is from the time they went missing. So like the first body was actually Jane Marie Chafton back in 99 and then Cassandra Lee Ramsey and then so on and so forth.
1: Oh, wow. So let's, let's kind of set the scene. And by what I mean by that is where is Lawton, Oklahoma?
3: Lawton is roughly an hour, almost directly South and a little bit West of Oklahoma city, Oklahoma. It's a population of about a hundred thousand people, give or take. And, uh, it's a military town. Fort Silla is right there as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty populous area, but it is known by truck drivers who travel from Oklahoma City down to Texas. They go right through Lawton. Um, it's known for, unfortunately, the sex work and drug trade, uh, mainly involving truck drivers.
1: Gotcha. Um, and just to kind of get everybody oriented, um, it's an hour south, uh, roughly south and west of Oklahoma City. It's also... Um, just north of Wichita Falls across the border in Texas, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. So it's a major thoroughfare. So what got you interested in these? And we've kind of set the scene already. There are a number of women who were died under mysterious circumstances in and around the Lawton area over a course of time. What got you, uh, Justin, specifically interested in, this ca- in these cases?
3: Um, in early spring last year, uh, one of my regular listeners on my other podcast got a hold of me, and this person is uh, law enforcement from Lawton, the Lawton area, and that's how I got brought in because this person has been—I uh, don't looking—I don't want to say investigating, because they're technically not on any of the cases, but because of their involvement in the area. They've been looking into them since they started happening. So I got brought in basically to report on all these cases and try to formulate some kind of, I don't know, productive theory. And I mean, back in 2004, the the cases, the first main six cases were profiled. Uh, So. The authorities believe that there is a serial killer, or was a serial killer, down there that was operating because of the MO of the uh, the body placements where they were found, how they were found, um, and that's kind of how I got brought into it. is it It's from uh, law enforcement, and that person is still on the team, and you know we talk about it every day trying to figure out what's going on and stuff like that. So, cause there's
1: still bodies being found, believe it or not. That's an unbelievable. And so, yeah. so six of them were profiled, meaning that they were part, they fit a certain profile, but there were, there are a lot more bodies than that that have been found in this area. How many bodies do you guys estimate as of right now? How many, what's Probably. the estimate?
3: <laughs> well, for sure we, We believe, and also authorities from four different states around that area, uh, believe that 12 are actually connected in total, uh, because there were some ladies who were taken from Lawton or the Oklahoma City area that were dumped in other states, and uh, it was the same MO of the body dump, and then that's when the profiler got brought in, and basically they were profiling a serial killer, and that they gave the profile and all these agencies got together all in all, we believe there's possibly 40, 35 to 40 that are, that are totally connected. We still have a lot of Jane does that haven't been identified and a lot of missing people. So we're thinking, you know, in time, you know, hopefully we actually had a Jane doe get identified as one of the missing people that we were going to cover on the podcast uh, about a month ago. So uh, yeah, there's still stuff going on actively down there.
1: Very interesting. And yeah. Justin, what is the approximate time? Like if we're going to do a timeline of, of, of these murders or potential murders occurring, what would be mm-hmm. the timeline? Like when do you guys estimate at this point that they started and when do you think they stopped?
3: The official one from authorities would be 1999 to 2003, and that would be the first main five to six cases. But after which, I think in about early 2004, authorities pretty much put that as the cutoff. But we've found cases that are related to our main six uh, beforehand. So we would say probably
1: mid-90s to
3: up to current
1: day. Oh, wow. And you spoke a second ago about MO, that a number of these cases were connected through the modus operandi of the potential killer. What is the MO of this person?
3: This person, all of these ladies worked the same street in the same town uh, as sex workers. They all had drug habits. They all were missing for anywhere from, you know, a week to years before their bodies were found. Uh, One of the girls wasn't even identified until, I don't know, about five years after her body was found through DNA. But um, yeah, it's the basic MO of the body dumps are the women are taken. We don't know when or how them being sex workers, it's really hard to track that kind of activity but their bodies are all dumped by creek beds around water around the same time of year they're all nude um most of them had drugs in their system but not all of them and yeah that's uh, no no external traumas to the body or anything like that now there was um one body that was found that there's certain there's certain aspects and little details of each case that are intriguing as well. And there is information that the authorities have because after the first body or the fourth body was found, that's when they started connecting the dots that these were all done by the same person or persons. And then that's when they brought in that profile in 2004.
1: Wow. So, so
2: Justin, what do you make of the, um, the disposal locations and the fact that, The women are found with no clothing
3: on. Well, either somebody's very smart about DNA because none of the bodies at all had any DNA whatsoever on them. Wow. So they're either the person is very smart, which when the people of interest or person of interest was profiled, that was one of the things the profiler said. Mm-hmm. Basically that, um, I believe I actually I might have sent you that link, Jen. But yeah, I
2: have it actually yeah. in front of me right now.
3: Okay, yeah, they were yeah. saying that the person's not dumb, which is true. Mm-hmm. But our our big thing is that the person is local or is very very familiar with that area because we found out that some of the where the some of the bodies are dumped, it, it's off gravel. I mean, rural roads. And a lot of these roads, truck driver-wise, like when we were talking about uh, truck drivers, and it's like you're in a rural country area, I live in a rural country area, I maybe see a a big semi going down a country road, whether it's gravel or paved, maybe once every six months, and it's because Mm -hmm. that person lives on that road. So the fact that nobody ever reported ever seeing any kind of semi anywhere on these back roads in the time frames of the bodies leads us to believe that the person is local or has a secondary vehicle of some sort.
2: Yeah, and, that makes I total mean, sense.
3: Yeah, we believe there's definitely more than one person involved. And I mean, we have floated around so many theories. I think one of the newer ones is a cab driver. You know, mm-hmm. It's a possibility mm-hmm. because the person mm-hmm. has to be, familiar with that area to where those bodies are dumped.
2: So you don't think that those locations are a place that someone could just sort of come across? Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Okay, they're, they're like targeted, basically.
3: Well, that's one of the bodies was actually found on one of the inspectors for the uh, Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation. It was found on his property, and it was wow. while he was wow. investigating the other cases before that. And his property, there was another body found two years, almost two years to the day later, just like two miles south of that. So it's definitely somebody who knows the area and knows what's going on around there. I mean, granted, it could be just random, you know, somebody pulling off the highway onto these roads. But the when the body was found on the inspector's property, that that's kind of a huge red flag for us because I don't think that happened by chance. I think somebody actively was... You know, flipping the bird and you know saying, "Hey, come come find us,"
2: (laughs) which means they either researched where that guy lived or they did their own surveillance on him to find out where he lived.
3: Yeah, and I'll be you know take some smarts. It does, and that's uh, to be honest, like that's how I pinpointed where he actually lived because I just googled it. When I sent you that map where I pinpointed Mm -hmm. the bodies, um, I just googled his address and found it in like ten seconds. Wow. okay so it's it's not too hard and i mean granted you know this is 2022 now and when this mm-hmm. happened it was the early 2000s so you, yeah you have to you have to take into the, the internet into consideration but lawton being hundred thousand people and you have the one guy who's in the news talking about these cases when the bodies are found and then there's a body found on his property
1: so, right so, Justin was was there any signs that any of these that any of these women had been sexually assaulted or engaged in sexual activity in or around the time that they um, that they died? Nope, no proof
3: at all. Nothing. Um, I mean, them being sex workers, obviously, there's probably a good chance that they were, given the fact that they were also found nude, because that would raise the question: what happened before? you know, their bodies were dumped and some of them were missing for, for a while, but, uh, but no, there isn't.
1: Wow. Wow. Any, any foreign DNA of any kind found at all on any of these women? Absolutely not. Wow.
3: A lot of that, a lot of that has to do with the elements as well, though, because you got to think you're from that from that area george that sweltering heat down south during july and august uh you you know you put a body outside in the elements by a body of water or in a body of water there's probably not going to be much left after 48 hours Mm -hmm. you're not going to find much on there right wow and we don't we don't and we we personally don't think that that's by chance We think that person purposely dumped those bodies because there were some ladies who were missing for a while before their bodies were dumped in the middle of summer. And uh, they're always by bodies of water or in bodies of water. And they're very small, uh, like creek beds and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. usually under a bridge or by a bridge.
2: Yeah, you're going to have more insect and predator activity in those areas.
3: Absolutely. No
2: doubt, just because insects and any kind of predators need water. so. Yep. Yeah, that may have been a very conscious decision, like you said.
1: <laughs> yeah. Was there any uh, like evidence, I mean, other than DNA, any type of evidence that might indicate as to who uh, might have committed these potential crimes? I mean, is there any bit of evidence that you guys have to work <laughs> off of?
3: Uh, there's really not much, and that's the hard part about it. And that's why we we know that, for a fact that authorities do have information that they haven't released to the public. So what what they have found is you know def- definitely different than what you can find publicly. But uh, we do have one of the bodies. Uh, I believe it was Ramsey. She was found south, almost almost in Texas. And uh, if you notice too, all of these bodies are dumped either across county lines or in a different um, law enforcement jurisdiction. So they're all missing from one area, one street. They all knew each other. Um, Cassandra Lee Ramsey is an interesting one because after the first body was found, she was actually trying to leave Lawton and get out of town because she believed that she was going to be targeted. And within, I believe it was two or three days of that, she wound up missing and they found her, to county south. uh, I believe it was Stevens County is where she was found almost on the Texas, like right on the Texas line. And uh, the the odd part about that is, uh, as I know from my law enforcement contact down there, these jurisdictions do not work well together. They're getting better at that, but Mm -hmm. at the time they did not share information. They did not work together at all. So, It was basically, I don't want to say an ego thing, but I mean, there's a good chance that had a lot to do with it. And so a lot of this information, unfortunately, didn't get passed back and forth. But Cassandra Lee Ramsey was found. She was out in the elements for an extremely long time. But when she was found, there was an earring that she had lost like six months before She uh, was found dead, and the earring was actually found on her body, like almost placed. And you got to think, we tracked the weather from then, and they had so much rain down there. And her body was found nude in a creek Mm -hmm. bed, partially in water, but yet that earring that she had been missing for six months was found on her body. So there's little things like that. Um, Obviously, you know, truck drivers are a huge huge theory in here, especially John, dude named John Robert Williams, who uh, he's doing life right now in another state for another murder. But he bragged about killing 30 sex workers through three states. But when authorities went to question him about any of the Lawton murders, he had no information. So we're thinking he was just you know, talking crap and trying to brag himself up a little bit, you know, like sociopaths do. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, he couldn't provide any information related to the law and murders. And then you have uh another guy named Corey Morris and he is an interesting one as well. And we're not sure where he was in Oklahoma. We know his mother lived in uh Oklahoma City but we can't track any of his movements around that time frame and he actually is uh he's a pretty famous serial killer from uh I believe he ended up getting caught in Arizona because um he he was living in a in a small camper on his some of his relatives property and basically his uncle went in there one day and Corey Morris, apparently what he would do was he would purposely OD women. Like that was his MO. He would feed them all this meth and cocaine and strangle them during sex, but when the bodies were found it looked like they had just overdosed. Mm -hmm. So that kind of ties in to what we're thinking, but then we also have bodies that were found in other
1: states after Corey Morris was already arrested and everything. So You know, just a little. little Has Corey ever been interviewed in relation to the Lawton incidents? Uh, Yes, yes. The uh, OSBI
3: they sent a couple agents to question him after he was arrested, uh, but nothing came of that. Gotcha.
1: Is there out of all of these cases of these women, is there any? You talked about uh, Cassandra Lee Ramsey, which was interesting. Is there any one of the other of these other cases that stands out or is peculiar in some way? Um,
3: uh, all of them are kind of in their own way. Uh, mm-hmm. Woodring is the only person who was found west of Lawton, which we kind of found interesting because. For some odd reason, the killer decided to just drive west on Cash Road there in Lawton and dump the body right outside of the uh, the town limits and stuff. But uh, they're all somewhat unique in their own way. And then so, I mean, Cassandra Lee Ramsey is definitely one that sticks out to me just because of the fact she she was consciously telling people I'm scared that i'm going to be next and she was mm-hmm. trying to go to Texarkana. and we actually have a uh a sketch of the last person that she was seen with and when we posted that on social media we had uh, another member of law enforcement from the 90s from that area like message us almost immediately and said why do you have this guy like he dropped a name and everything it's like why do you guys <laughs> have this guy's picture on it on on here and that guy uh He's he's living in Texas, I believe, right now, right across the border, and um, he has a couple active warrants in Oklahoma, but they're misdemeanors, so they can't extradite him for misdemeanors. So we're basically we're just kind of waiting, hoping that he crosses the line one of these days, so you know we can we can hopefully pick him up. Wow! Do you
2: think the killer like purposely picked locations that were? in various jurisdictions so as to you know slow the de, like delay any investigation or yeah. linking of these victims to each other
3: well and here's here's the thing my my law enforcement contact down there that's their main theory is that mm-hmm. law enforcement is somehow involved because of that that very yeah. reason because the law enforcement down there what they'll do is actually Law enforcement found one of the bodies because they go down those back roads, and what they do is they're looking for like trash from dispelled meth labs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So they'll actively patrol all those rural back roads looking for that kind of stuff and everything like that, which is fairly routine from what I've learned from that time frame. So, with that being said, it's uh there is a really really huge theory that somehow law enforcement is involved whether directly or indirectly because mm-hmm. you know we've narrowed down that the person is most definitely familiar with that area if they're not local yeah. they they definitely are familiar but at the same time all the bodies are almost all the bodies are dumped across yeah like jurisdictional lines and with the the way the bodies are dumped Absolutely no DNA, no clothing whatsoever. It kind of lends a little bit of credence to that. Yeah, and Justin, Mm -hmm. it
1: could be another situation where, you know, like um, Dennis Rader, you know, BTK, uh, Mm -hmm. he would end up sexually assaulting some of his victims after the fact, but... He he. That was not his. That was not what he was there to do. He really wanted to, to, to torture and strangle his victims. It wasn't a. It was sexual, but it wasn't sexual. If that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. the person doing this may just get may not have sex with them in any way, shape, or form. They may just get a supreme thrill out of watching them die after they've um, made yeah. them ingest all of these um, uh, these drugs. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Justin and Jennifer about these mysterious deaths near the town of Lawton, Oklahoma. We'll be right back.
2: Disasters, accidents, mishaps, and mayhem. They happen. Hi, I'm Brian, an agent with Legacy Insurance Group with a tip for you. Save your insurance info and agent's number in your phone right now. It's a bonus if they accept texts like we do. Look us up on LegacyInsuranceAR.com or find us on social media to request a quote. Diamond State Murder Board, written and hosted by George Jared, co-hosted and produced by Andrew Brown, music by Rush Pate, voiceover work done by me, Jessica Parker. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Diamond State MB. Download us wherever you get your podcasts.